0: It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. Every great historical disruption, it would seem, accelerates the acceptance of a disruptive new technology. Uh, The 9-11 crisis, I think, resulted in the popularization of blogging, Uh, The 2008 financial meltdown resulted in the acceptance of social media. So the big question I think many tech people are asking themselves today in 2020 is what will the pandemic accelerate? What new technology? My bet is on a new technology called blockchain. Uh, And one guy who is probably, or not probably, certainly the world's greatest authority on blockchain is my old... Canadian friend, uh, Don Tapscott. He's the author of many books. His latest is The Blockchain Revolution, how the technology behind Bitcoin is changing money, business and the world. Uh, Don, is 2020 and the pandemic the moment when blockchain will radically transform the world? Is this what the blockchain revolution has been waiting for?
1: Well, For sure, the pandemic has revealed all kinds of severe limitations in our institutions and our leaders and in our systems as well. And um, we at the Blockchain Research Institute have been doing uh, a number of projects related to blockchain and pandemics. And it seems like there are a number of uh, big opportunities, but also some pretty interesting initiatives that are underway. Um, they fall in a bunch of areas. Uh, uh, a big one has to do with data. I mean, the reason that we have this pandemic is because of data, or lack thereof. Uh, we don't have the early warning systems with healthcare data and healthcare data is all locked up in silos. So if we each had our own portable, sovereign healthcare record, it's capturing real-time information as it can today. Our heart rate, for that matter, our temperature, um, our location and so on, then built into that self-sovereign record, we could have agreements with uh, governments, epidemiologists, clinicians, and so on, where aggregate and summary anonymized information could be collected to spot a pandemic uh, before it took off and to better manage it. That's that's just uh, one of the areas that we're looking at.
0: I think I may have jumped ahead of ourselves. Not everyone listening to this will even understand or know what blockchain is so before we really get into the details perhaps in a couple of minutes you might explain to the the non-techies who listen to this podcast what exactly blockchain technology is sure
1: and andrew it's taken uh, me and my co-author alex Tapscott several years to be able to say this in a couple of minutes but basically the way we view this is blockchain Is the internet of value. It's the second era of the internet. Um, For 40 years, we've had an internet of information. But if I send you some information, you know, an email, a PDF, a picture, I'm actually not sending you the information. I'm sending you a copy. Even with a website, I keep the original. And that works great for information. But when it comes to things that really matter in the economy, things like money, securities, intellectual property, um, medical records, contracts, deeds, the data in our identities, even cultural assets like art, music, votes. Votes and assets, something of value that belongs to somebody. Sending a copy or managing transacting with copies is a bad idea. You don't want someone copying your vote or your identity. And if I send you $1,000, it's really important that I don't still have the money. So cryptographers have called this the double spend problem for decades. And the way we manage the problem is through big intermediaries in society. Middlemen like banks, stock exchanges, credit card companies, governments, social media companies. They perform all the business and transaction logic for every type of commerce. They identify your Andrew, the party. They identify the asset. That's a dollar. They, or that's a, you know uh, an mp3 file of a podcast that's an asset it belongs to somebody they clear and settle the transactions they keep records and overall they've done a pretty good job but there are growing problems they're easily hacked they take too long shouldn't shouldn't take 7 days for money to move from Toronto to a housekeeper's mom in the philippines and many other problems they exclude a couple of billion people from the global economy and a big one is that they capture our data We create it, but they capture it. So we can't use it to plan our lives. It's not secure. Um, And our privacy is being undermined. And privacy is the foundation of freedom. So enter blockchain. 2008, Satoshi Nakamoto, an anonymous person or persons, wrote a paper solving this double spend problem. And to me, Andrew, this was the... uh, Biggest innovation in computer science
0: in a generation. Well, you've and called it the new internet, essentially, right? Yeah.
1: It's, rather than an internet of information, we have an internet of value. This is the first time ever where anything of value, from money to securities to health records, can be managed, score, uh, stored, transacted in a secure and private way, and where trust is not achieved necessarily by an internet intermediate. it's achieved by cryptography and collaboration and some clever code. So, I mean, I could be wrong, but I've been at this, as you know, since the nineteen seventies when we were working with the ARPANET multi-function workstations at Canada's Bell Labs, and um, I think this is the biggest one that I've seen.
0: Another word to to sort of you 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 you, uh, you brought up the T word trust. When you say the internet of value, it's essentially the internet of trust, isn't it? Because it's technology that can't be fiddled with, technology that can't be changed. It's, it's, it, it represents the absolute authenticity of data. Is that another way of thinking about blockchain?
1: That was well, well said. Um, you know, trust is the expectation that the other party will act with integrity. They'll do the right thing. If you and I do a transaction using a blockchain, We can't cheat each other. It's not possible. And it's not because you're a good guy and I'm a good guy. Trust is native to the medium. It's a native digital medium for trust. So you want to know about a healthcare record and its validity? You can know. You want to know about a a PPE, a ventilator, where did it come from? Is it certified? You can know the provenance of something like that on a blockchain. Um, you know, the reason that we have hoarding in this pandemic is is because of fear and also because of lack of transparency in supply chains. You're not going to buy three years of toilet paper if you know that the supply chain is perfectly capable of creating it and there's more coming tomorrow. So um, this is an extraordinary new uh, thing that is, has the potential of, fundamentally or enabling us as humans because technology doesn't change anything people do but enabling us as humans to sort of rewrite the economic power grid in the old order of things if we will it.
0: so let's let's fast forward to the pandemic itself Uh, the reason i i think that blockchain now is so important is because in in many ways the pandemic for better or worse, reduces us all to data, doesn't it? It reduces us to the data of whether or not we have the virus. And given the unreliability of online data, given all the dishonesty online from Putin to Trump to every other troll, um, we need something like blockchain to ensure that the data about the pandemic, both in global terms and in personal terms, is reliable.
1: Well, absolutely. And that's where we started with our big report on uh, blockchain and pandemics, which, by the way, we made publicly available as a sort of uh, public service. But without adequate data, and we haven't had it, nobody. Everyone's functioning in the dark. So to your question about, is this pandemic showing the need for something new? Um, you know, to, to paraphrase Victor Hugo, nothing so powerful as an idea as time has come. Nothing so, is so powerful whose time has become a necessity. We need this new kind of trust protocol to enable us to function and to manage a crisis like this.
0: In 9-11, uh, Donna, I mentioned uh, blogging became very popular. But what happened was the, the planes hit the buildings and then the bloggers hit the Internet. Uh, how is blockchain going to take off in a democratized and democratizing kind of way during the pandemic? Or does it require governments and big organizations like the WHO to actually pick it up and use it?
1: Well, it's a great question. And the answer is it's kind of coming from everywhere. Um, Like think about a a self-sovereign healthcare identity that captures all of your your healthcare information, not just your diagnoses in hospitals or tests that you've had or medications you're taking, but you know real-time health information, your location and other stuff, all wrapped up in a healthcare record that's in a black box and you own it. So right now, the university health network, uh, according to Newsweek, the number four hospital in the world, um, they have something called my U h n. And I'm a patient there. Before I leave the hospital after an X-ray, my radiology report is in my healthcare record. And the next step, because they're working with blockchain now, is that I, I can not only see it, I can I own it. I can send it to another institution, get a second opinion. I can anonymize it and sell it. I could give it to science, and they've already got a blockchain application to enable patients to control what happens uh, to their health care record um, in a research situation. So it's not going to be the WHO or the UN that mandates this. It's going to be a very uh, kind of molecular thing. So maybe it'll happen in Toronto and UHN will do it. And they'll partner up with other hospitals and, and then uh, they'll bring in the shoppers drug mart and maybe some pharmaceutical companies then the Ministry of Health in Ontario and and then maybe, uh, you know, maybe somebody else will get involved and say, well, that could be something broader. Could it could include your driver's license and your transportation data. And maybe it'll start to include transaction data and, and maybe locational data and GPS. And all of a sudden, we've got the holy grail, which is a self-sovereign identity. And this is so important. Because all, this is like digital feudalism. You know, Andrew, you and I have had great discussions and debates over the years. And I think I've come around to your point of view on a few things, <laughs> particular about the dark side. And um, I'll just t- tell you about that really quickly. When I wrote The Digital Economy in 94, it was such an upbeat book. I said, wow, this is the first bestseller about the web and business. And I said, that I think the internet's going to transform all of our institutions for the better. I said some things could go wrong, and I listed seven things. And I had to go back and read it when I was after the 20th anniversary edition of the book. I said, hey, you know, um, we could lose our privacy in an irrevocable way. Check. I said, I think some big companies could capture all our data, and there could be a bifurcation of wealth. Check. I said, I think the Internet's going to bring us together, but we could have a fragmentation of public discourse where – we, we follow our own facts, our own point of view. Check, you know, <laughs> and on and on and on. So, um, we have a, we have a big problem and the internet has failed us in many ways. It's broken our intellectual property regime so that if you were a musician 35 years ago, you write a, a platinum song, that sells a million singles, you get $46,000 in royalties. Today it's 35 bucks for an equivalent song.
0: Could could we go back to, you mentioned something about this sort of platform or system of self-identity and it would be, I guess, glued together by blockchain. You mentioned healthcare, finance, transportation. How would that work? Would it again be a public or a private initiative?
1: Well, ultimately, we need governments involved because governments are providers of all kinds of important identity information. But I think it's going to come from everywhere. And, you know, there are great companies uh, that are uh, doing initiatives around self-sovereign identity. There are great institutions like uh, University Health Network in Toronto, um, the uh, Texas um, uh, Medical Center, AM, uh, 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 the Anders, Anderson, the big cancer center in Houston, is exploring this in a really interesting way. So it's going to kind of come from ev- everywhere. And the reason this is so important, back to the, the the point about our discussions, is that that we sort of have this digital feudalism today. If you think mm. about it. you know under the feudal system you created this produce and the landlord took it all and you were left with something and today the virtual andrew knows more about you than you do because you don't know where you were a year ago or what diagnosis you had or what you ate or what you know what, what medication you took or what you got on a test or what you purchased or what you know hundreds of classes of data and you create this data but it gets expropriated and you're left with a few cabbages and just think how valuable that data would be in helping you plan your life your health your transaction your whatever and all that data is on central servers so it's not secure there are two kinds of these central systems those that have been hacked and those that will be hacked and we're all left picking up the pieces it means that you can't monetize the data and that's at the heart of this this big um, social inequality problem that's growing in society. And it means that we can't aggregate that data and say a pandemic to sort of see what the hell's going on with something like maybe people's temperature or illness or something. And our privacy is being undermined. And people say to me, well, Don, privacy's dead. Get over it. I think this is stupidity. You know, that privacy is the foundation of freedom, and all this data represents our identities. We need to get our identities back so that we can manage them responsibly for ourselves. I'm so excited about this concept.
0: John, it is exciting and inspiring, but I remember back in 2001, we were all very inspired by Google's language of democratizing information, which was bound up in the blogging revolution. Back in 2008, 2009, we were inspired by Facebook and its promise of democratizing politics. I think you're right, but I also am worried that private companies, and we haven't really had a major blockchain-driven company yet. We don't have a, um, a Google or a Facebook or an Amazon or an Apple for blockchain. But how are we going to make sure that when we do have one of these Uh, incredibly powerful and successful companies who have leveraged the technology, made money and become increasingly popular. How are we going to make sure that they don't essentially leverage the interests of their shareholders and their workers uh, to the disadvantage of the rest of us as the Googles and Facebooks have done?
1: Well, um, with great care would be my answer. You know, the subtitle of the digital economy in 94 was Promise and Peril in the Age of Network Intelligence. And Alex and I started off Blockchain Revolution saying something to the effect, I'll see if I can remember, that once again, the technology genie has escaped from the bottle. And it was summoned by this anonymous person or persons at this uncertain time in history. And it's not going to solve our problems. But it, it does give us another kick at the can to, um, to create a whole new set of institutions that are for the better in society. But ultimately, it will come down to us. What are we going to do? Now, one thing that does give me comfort is the Internet could, there were all these touch points where it could be very easily controlled and owned Um, by one large digital conglomerate or a series of them. And governments could also spy. Blockchain holds the potential, because it's highly decentralized and distributed, of mitigating against that. It doesn't mean that it will happen, but it means that we have a technology that more naturally lends itself to a democratized view of the world.
0: You're not traveling. I'm not traveling. You and I always bump into each other in airports, probably amongst the most traveled people in the world. When we get back to traveling and we have this whole issue of testing could you imagine everyone holding a blockchain um a blockchain based passport yes
1: and if we do it right it won't say you're andrew keen you have an immunity it will say you have an immunity and you are authorized to tr- travel. So we can separate um, identity from authenticate or from uh, validation. Um, and this is a concept that's been around for a long time. Actually, a book that nobody read that I wrote in 1995 explained that argument it was called, Who Knows? Safeguarding our Privacy in a Networked Age. And we we talked about this idea that when you go into an office building in New York, say, they don't need to know who you are. They need to know that you're a valid person to answer that office or to enter that office building. So, this really does come down to the concept of uh, how we're going to design systems. And uh, my co author of that book, Ann Kabukian, actually has come up with this idea of privacy for design, which is a, a powerful and helpful thing. But for sure, we're all going to have an immunity passport.
0: And I would hope that that blockchain passport would also trigger the beginnings of the notion of global citizenship and might be a counter to the growth of nationalism around the world, uh, an ugly, xenophobic kind of nationalism at the beginning of the 21st century that I, both, I know both you and I are not great fans of. Uh,
1: that's for sure.
0: Finally, uh, Don. Um, you're stuck. Well, maybe not stuck, but you're, you're at your lake house in Canada. I'm here in Berkeley. Um, you mentioned a couple of your books, which I hope people will read, especially Blockchain Revolution, which is really the best introduction to this blockchain technology. Um, what book or books would you suggest people have a look at uh, at this time of both great crisis and opportunity?
1: Well, I'll tell you what I'm reading right now. Um, actually, before I do that, Andrew, news. Um, both Alex and I have new books out. Um, Alex's will be available, or is available now. It's called Financial Services Revolution.
0: And Alex is your son and your co-author for the Blockchain Revolution, right? Yeah.
1: And he's written the big essay in that book. And then there's a compilation of other uh, best of the BRI. But it's a gorgeous Piece that he wrote, and um, you read that, and the top of your head will <laughs> blow off. Um, and then um, in two weeks, Amazon is shipping my new book. It's called Supply Chain Revolution, and um, the subtitle is "How the uh, How Blockchain Technology Is Transforming the Global Flow of Assets." And these are both really um, uh, solid pieces. I don't know I'm standing back and. I'm spending a lot of time thinking about these issues of identity and also how we need a new social contract for society. And so I'm sort of consuming everything that I can that's pertinent to that. You know, when we went from the agrarian to the industrial age, we developed a new social contract. We figured out that people needed to be literate. We created the public education system. We had to go to school. It was a law. We figured out people would live in the city and need a social safety net. You know, there were dozens and dozens of agreements in society that constituted our social contract. I don't think we've done any of that for this next round, the digital age. So um, I'm finding, um, you know, I'm enjoying um, uh, uh, reading uh, Yuval Noah Hara. And uh, right now, I'm sort of digging into 21st lessons for the 21st century. He actually talks about a social contract in that. I was surprised. to. See to hear that. Hey, Yuval, if you're listening, we should collaborate because, uh, I've actually written a social contract. <laughs> no one's seen it yet.
0: Right. And, and Yuval would be more than welcome. If you're listening, you'd be more, more than welcome to come on this show too. <laughs>
1: but, uh, yeah, if, if you, uh, Google declaration of interdependence by Don Tapscott, um, you'll see it, uh, it's free. Um, It's almost a book-size document. uh, Outlines a framework for a new social contract for the digital age. A modest little contribution on my part.
0: You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.